Hey everyone, you're listening to the 10.7 podcast, where we get together every fortnight, and sometimes more often, to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Ivan Stegich. In this episode of the podcast, we're talking to Tess Flynn about her visit to Drupal Camp Ottawa 2018 that happened on Friday, October 26th. Tess, welcome back to the podcast. Can you even use Fortnite now? Isn't that copyrighted? <laughs> well, it's spelled differently, so I think we might be okay. So, <laughs> yeah, good point, though. Uh, let's see. Drupal Camp Ottawa. You just got back from Canada. Did you bring back any maple syrup? I did, but the problem is that uh, some of the maple syrup that we get here locally actually tastes a bit better than the kind that you get from the uh, touristy travel shops that you get in Canada. Yeah, we're a little spoiled in Minnesota with maple syrup. I agree. So Drupal Camp Ottawa is a little different in format than Drupal Corn that we talked about last. Um, it's one day of camp. It's a Friday. So 25% the length of the other camps. How did that feel compared to the extended four days that uh, we talked about last time? I think that it actually felt rather appropriate. Um, mostly because you can't really talk about this camp without mentioning the fact it is doing a head-on comparison uh, competition with Bad Camp. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten that Bad Camp was at the same time. What's the format for Bad Camp? Uh, Bad Camp's a little bit more like TC Drupal. There's a day of training, then two days of sessions, then a day of contributions. Do you think that affected uh, attendance in Ottawa? Well, I actually was wondering about this as well. The question whether or not is, if you actually had the choice between the two, would you go to one or the other? And I think that's kind of a false dichotomy because from another perspective... Ottawa is in a completely different country. Even though it's not very far from Minnesota, at the same time, it is technically a different country. So there are reasons to actually have it, uh, actually uh, choose a date that even coincides with one of the biggest regional camps in the United States. And it's also on the complete opposite end of the continent as well. Yeah, it's on the eastern time zone. And how large was Drupal Camp, uh, Camp Ottawa in terms of uh, number of people? Just sheer attendance. Just a guess. Uh, they said that about 250 people registered. Um, there were a lot. Some of those were going to be sponsors. And uh, a fairly typical pattern is that they'll register more people than actually shows up. Um, so I would probably guess maybe 175 at least. Probably more like... 200 and change. Wow, that's a whole lot for a regional camp and only one day of programming. Well, you know, it's it's that other country factor yeah. and there's a lot of a lot to really unpack there because uh it's not just a Drupal camp somewhere else. There are specific regional concerns that go along with having a Drupal camp in Canada and using Drupal in Canada. So let's talk about that uh, a little bit. 
Would you guess that most of the attendees were from Ottawa and from Ontario? I would probably say so because Ottawa, from what I recall, is the capital. So yes. there's a lot of government in Ottawa, a mm-hmm. lot. Which and Ottawa is trying to pivot towards doing more Drupal, uh, Drupal open source, and more open source in general. So the idea that a lot of people would attend this camp to get more open source information makes perfect sense, and to put it in the same city that a lot of people work in also makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. Now, I heard you received a special award. <laughs> it was kind of a joke about that. Um, as, a, as a camp speaker, there's always kind of a little bit of a joke about if you're the farthest one to attend a camp. <laughs> and from my knowledge, I might have been one of the few Americans to attend the entire camp and probably the only one that really needed to take a flight to get there. <laughs> What was the prize, or was it just a proverbial pet on the back? It was more like, oh, really? I am the furthest away one. Oh, that's 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 nice. Awesome. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I looked at the schedule, and um, it was kind of... It was looked like it was broken up into three tracks for the day, and it loosely seemed to be something along the lines of front-end, back-end, and everything else. And the everything else was kind of like business strategy, communications, content, uh, which kind of makes sense. It, did I get that right? Was that more or less how it was? It certainly felt like that. I mean, with only one day of camp and only uh, about four different session periods, there's not really that much need to break it up along too many different functional lines. There's only so many slots available. And no buffs, from what I could tell. No, um, I don't think they had the room available at the venue in order to do that. Otherwise, they might have. I see. Um, Nice segue into the location of where the event was. It was at the University of Ottawa. Um, The website says the site building. Can you tell me more about the space? That place has just got such an interesting personality. It's... (laughs) How can I explain this? Like, if someone took material design and construction aesthetic and mashed them together, you get this combination of bright colors and metals and all sorts of interesting things. It was really, really a nifty little venue. It was very, very visually interesting. And because the camp wasn't particularly big, everything was in one building. So it was very easy to find everything. So three rooms, all in one building, I would assume lunch uh, in a central place, as we've come to mm-hmm. expect. That's correct. Right. That's that's great. That seems to make uh, quite a cozy atmosphere for attendees. I, I really like those when they're all close together and bunched up. Um, let's talk a little about the pre-keynote. Um, it looked like there was a session on the schedule called Drupal 101, um, that seemed to be very inviting for beginners. Kind of before the keynote happens, if you're new to Drupal, not sure what a node is, the description says, bring your coffee and get a quick course on Drupal terminology. I love this idea of kind of giving an intro before the festivities or the keynote begins. Yeah, I, I rather liked how that went because it... 
it provides a nice bit of framing that would have otherwise been taken up by a training session on the first day of a multi-day camp. And I think it was a nice compromise in order to uh, allow people who have heard about this Drupal thing and then get a nice introduction so that they can get value out of the camp. And because the camp was on a Friday, some people might be attending this under work hours. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's a great welcoming idea, and um, it'll be interesting to talk to the organizers to to hear what their take on the motivation behind that was. So then uh, that rolled into the keynote, and the keynote was titled "Building Accessible Experiences," and it was from a developer advocacy lead at Shopify. Um, I can't pronounce Tiffany's last name. I'm going to try Tiffany Tsa. Any ideas if I got close, Tess? Uh, no, I don't think a coffee had quite kicked in. And I think I barely missed her last name too. So I can't quite remember the pronunciation either. <laughs> We're sorry, Tiffany, if you're listening, um, call us and let us know how we did. Um, yeah, so Shopify... First of all, I love the the uh, fact that the keynote was from someone outside of the Drupal ecosystem. I just really appreciated this particular keynote. A lot of keynotes lately, including one that I gave myself, tended to be a lot more broad-reaching, a lot more big ideas and directions and business policies. And this one was a lot more down-to-earth, a lot more practical, um, really put you in into the pilot seat of, okay, you're going to be an accessibility designer. What's wrong with this? And it was just a wonderful experience because it really sat you down and made you think about what you were looking at. And it was nice to do that as the first thing in a camp because it felt very direct. Glad to hear it. So what um, what do you think your major takeaway uh, from the keynote was? Well, I think the general message that I'd like to, that I took away from it was that accessibility is not something that you can just bolt on later. It is a core aspect of the entire design experience. And you should consider it very carefully from the very beginning, because a site can be a lot more versatile than, say, an application can be. And it has a lot more audiences and a lot more modalities in which that it is presented to different users. And it was really, really well communicated. And further to that, uh, the thing that I always want to try to remind um, everyone we're working with and the people that we uh, help with our sites is not only is accessibility important to think about from the design aspect and right from the beginning, but it doesn't stop after you've launched a site. It's something that continues that all members of the team that are responsible for the site have to be aware of and continue to build on. It's not something that you just launch as a feature and you're done. So I'm glad I'm glad to hear that was a good uh, keynote. Um, and it looks like your session was directly after the keynote in the same room. So <laughs> yeah. did you luck out and have a whole lot of people stay? I apparently did have a lot of people staying for that session. I was a uh... Kind of surprised, actually, about the number of people that attended it. I think it was like some 50 people that I counted right before I started. And I know that some people came in after I got started as well that I didn't get uh, a chance to count. 
And you gave away all the 10-7 swag at your session. Yeah, we were running a little bit late because the keynote ran a little bit long. So when I first set up, I basically put everything out. And anyone who was an early bird, I said, here, come take. Don't make me take this back through American security. (laughs) Yeah, we were a little light on swag at this camp because of the fact that you were traveling internationally. But I'm sure that... uh, I'm sure we had enough to make some people happy there. Um, It all vanished anyways. (laughs) That's what we want. That's what we want. Any particularly interesting questions that came up in your session that maybe you haven't heard before? So the thing with my sessions is that very rarely do people actually come up with questions because once I tend to get started, it's really hard to get a question in edgewise because I just have (laughs) such a presentation that is just a fire hose of nonstop rambling for almost an hour. And it's really hard for people to just stop and figure and ask questions. Sometimes people do, but... My sessions tend not to get a lot of questions. (laughs) I think you do a great job of explaining things so clearly with analogies and with um, detail that that's maybe why there aren't any questions. Uh, I certainly appreciate attending those. Um, So just looking at the other sessions on the schedule, a few that piqued my interest. uh, The new face of Civi CRM. Civi CRM still makes me... Um, a little scared, so I'm glad that there's a new face. Uh, building software as a service on Drupal, another session that I thought was uh, something I might have attended had I been at the camp. And then Drupal as the base of an inclusive workplace, uh, workplace which was Mike Gifford's session. Uh, it's an interesting idea. I, I kind of read the description of the session, um, the fact that Drupal is largely still known as a CMS, um, and people really don't realize that it's much more than that, especially when you think about accessibility and user experience. You went to that session, right? I did, but I went in with the expectation, because I didn't read the description very well, that it was going to be a little bit more culturally focused Uh, and how to, to build a more diverse team as a result of using Drupal. And so... When they started going on uh, the technical merits, I was like, oh, <laughs> and it's, it's totally my fault. I didn't read the session description very well. <laughs> so what was your what was your takeaway then from that session? A lot of it reminded me of uh, of the keynote, but it also uh, kept pointing out one thing that was really important is that. Uh, accessibility doesn't just benefit those who are disabled because accessibility is uh, not just going to be for those who have a permanent disability, but a temporal or situational disability as well. And there was a lot of focus on bringing that into the conversation as well. Mike does a great job of um, being inclusive, and I imagine that was a, a wonderful session to attend. Did you go to the building software as a service on Drupal session? I did go to that one. Um, I also kind of was hoping this one was going to be a little bit more business focused. Um, It actually was mostly a technical discussion about how to use Agar, which has been around for the better part of 10 years in Drupal circles and is still going and is still a method to provide a Drupal solution as a software as a service. And 
the new next version of Agar is supposed to finally support more than just Drupal and virtually any PHP application and possibly any web application that can be deployed. So that's how you say it. <laughs> what, software as a service? No, 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 no. Agar. I always wondered about that. No, I only remember that because I think I watched, I listened to like, was it a Drupal Easy podcast like years ago, half a decade ago about Agar? And that was like one of the first things that they were going to talk about is how do you pronounce this? It's got a diphthong in it. Why? <laughs> I want to spend some time talking about this uh, building software as a service session. Um, so from what I understand, Agar's basically a way for you to host your own site and maybe even sell hosting to others as a service, particularly just Drupal sites. Um, and you said that it would, um, in the next version, be supporting more than just Drupal sites, PHP applications as well. Is this the basis for Pantheon? Is this where Pantheon started? Or is, I have no idea, how is it similar or different to Pantheon? I don't know if Agar was actually used in Pantheon at the beginning. I do know that they were using their own uh, their own homebrewed containerized solution, possibly using Zen or KVM at some point, and that they recently transitioned to Google Kubernetes engine in order to run most of their container systems. And they and primarily the product that they have is a web front end and a pricing tier in order to better leverage all of that usage. And I'm not sure if, if they ever really utilized Agar for that or not. It looked like this was a session that was more in the style of a buff, the way the description was written. Um, it felt like it was going to be more discussion-oriented. Uh, did that turn out to be the case? It did turn out to be the case. I was really hoping for a lot more uh, perspective from the business perspective because it felt like it was very technically focused, very capability focused, as in Agar can do this, Agar can do this, this is how you do this. Yes, you can run it on your own hardware. Why would you want to do that? And this is where one of the key things that I took away from the entire camp started really sitting in my mind is that because I'm not in the U.S., there are different concerns for hosting. And a lot of Canadian companies and do not want to rely on any U.S. hosting. And I cannot blame them, considering our utterly lackadaisical privacy laws. And I'm being generous mm. when I describe it that way. Mm -hmm. So what, what turn out to be the options for Canadian companies who are doing hosting if they're not going to rely on U.S. technology? Well, I think that AWS is now involved, but that's still a company that's technically owned and operated from the U.S., and that might not be as comfortable for people. I actually haven't had enough time yet to really investigate the hosting market in Canada. It feels like it needs more development, honestly, is my initial impression. I could be wrong about that. I can guess that there's probably a lot of on-premises hosting, but not nearly enough like cloud-based hosting. And there might be a lot of uh, shared hosting as well that is used by a lot of smaller sites, but I'm really concerned that 
there's just not enough cloud hosting that mm. is also hosted in Canada in order to make sure that the privacy laws still apply, that the local regional laws still apply, and that these are actually utilized for Canadian sites. And this may be, you know, a hollow argument if a lot of the Drupal market share is government because they will be more likely to self-host, self-host than use, yeah. uh, than use uh, cloud products. Although that made me think uh, the following day, why isn't it that the Canadian government itself doesn't form a wholly owned and operated company that does nothing but hosting and infrastructure providing in a cloud facility? They've got to have more than one data center under their ownership already. Yeah, that's a good point. It seems like a market opportunity that a company like Pantheon or Acquia could certainly take advantage of. But then at the same time, there are U.S. companies that are operating in Canada. And so maybe there's a Pantheon Canada that gets formed or a um, a company that's run and operated in Canada by similar or related people to the same U.S. company, and yet they have their own privacy standards and use privacy um, that's, you know, protocols that are acceptable to the Canadian um, laws. Um, I think Google has a GKE zones that are available in Canada. So in theory, you could potentially do that. I suppose. Yeah, I think there probably are some GKE zones in Canada as well. I have to look into that to be sure. Maybe we should start a hosting company, Tess. I'm all for that. <laughs> okay, Ottawa, let's... Isn't ba- Ottawa isn't bad, but I like Toronto more. Okay. <laughs> well, we can be this, wherever you this want. Is a of mine. This is a thing of mine, though. Um, be- when I used to do business travel a lot... I notice that I tend to get immediate impressions of places that I touch down in. It's really weird because it doesn't seem to make any logical sense to me either. But Toronto had a very familiar vibe to what I'm used to in Minneapolis. But there were certain rounded corners that... I didn't have from the same vibe in Minneapolis. And those were probably where, you know, where a lot more of uh, a Canadian cultural vibe was poking out. And Ottawa felt very similar to that, but a slower pace. It's a little bit hard to describe. I, I wanted to describe it at, using a, a music analogy um, because... Uh, so the thing that pops to my mind is that there is a video game called Undertale that has been around for a while. And towards the end, there's this one area of the game that has very upbeat, fast-paced music. But if you take an alternate story path in that game, that same music plays, but in a very slow, lumbering pace instead. And I didn't get that exact feeling, but I, it definitely made me think, wow, this is like the same song, but it's slightly slower. That's interesting. <laughs> I know this is all just ridiculous as a, a subjective, but that was something that just kept coming up when I was there. It, it felt familial and um, accessible, I would argue. Uh, so no direct flights to Ottawa from Minneapolis. Um, did you fly through Toronto? 
I did fly through Toronto and that was actually fairly easy. It's a only a two hour flight from MSP and you can get a, a direct. The only problem is once you're in Toronto, you have to catch a one hour connecting flight to Ottawa. Now, I didn't have any problems going to Ottawa, but coming back, I, I just kept getting hit with delay after delay and it was kind oh, of, no. I mean, it was, it was a little bit frustrating because we left probably 15 minutes from Ottawa from when we were supposed to. I didn't mind so much because I had enough time to account for the difference. Yeah. But then once I landed in Ottawa, um, I failed to remember that the international security procedures had changed since I last traveled internationally. And now you have to go through international customs as an American citizen on the international side rather yeah. than the U.S. side. Mm-hmm. And that was a Kafka-esque experience, to say the least. I felt like I was reenacting the movie Brazil a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, we had that same experience flying through Toronto on the way back from Europe uh, this year. And uh, it actually made me think of kind of what the, what the what laws apply. On the Canadian side, in the U.S., after you've cleared U.S. customs, I, I know that it's U.S. law that applies, but mm-hmm. that just that just feels wrong. Someone explained to me that um, Canadian uh, transit agency, their equivalent of the TSA, is actually a superset of TSA law, which just makes me go, geez. <laughs> oh, wow. In, in TSA law, if you know even a little bit about it, is already this nightmarish labyrinth of weird edge cases and yeah. and political meddling and none of it makes any sense anymore and it, it hasn't since probably 2007 honestly yeah it was pretty insane certainly kafkaesque as you said uh going and clearing customs in canada for the u.s and then you know technically being physically being in canada but technically being in the u.s after you've done that it was yeah, that was mind. Was well, the mind real ending. hilarious part is the nature of how this works in the Toronto airport. When you actually go through Canadian security at the Toronto airport and you first get cl- get cleared, you're opened into this wide foyer and it's got this giant uh, flower sculpture thing and the underside of each petal is actually your arrival and departure time screens. Oh. And it's really nice. And then afterwards, I had to walk through there to go to a completely different concourse. And when you get to that concourse, you have to go through security again. Then you have to go through customs again. Then you have to go through the customs waiting area because they Mm -hmm. won't let you go directly to your gate. Then Mm -hmm. after you go to, say, there, then you walk to your gate. And by the time I got all the way to my end of the gate, I was on the other side of a glass window. And on the other side of that glass window that I was looking right through was the giant flower. <laughs> That's kind of a, a And that took irony. an hour and a half. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Well, well, I think we have a little more time to talk about um, the other session that kind of um, piqued my interest, and you also, I think, went to it, was the journey through the solar system. And the only reason it piqued my interest was because I thought the title of the session was amazing. The slides were also great, too. They had a really nice visual style that I really appreciated. Um, it made it very fun, but at the same time, it, it focused on information. And 
the talk itself was also different than I'm expected. Now, usually when you think of Solar and Drupal, you're going to think of, well, you're probably going to use a search API implementation, and it's going to be one site, and you're going to configure which entities that you're going to have going to which indexes, and then you'll use views in order to make your search pages, and yada, 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 yada. Well, they couldn't do that with this solution. The problem is that they had some 200 different sites, and they had to have a unified singular search mechanism. And it wasn't a multi-site either, so you couldn't kind of cheat and use some of that facility in order to, to populate a single index. So either they had to come up with a completely custom solution in which any time content was posted for each individual site, it went back to a standard search API server, or they'd have to do something completely different. What they used to use, they used to use a Google search appliance. And this was great mm. because it was on-premises. All of the data was local. They owned it. And then suddenly those yellow boxes stopped arriving from Google yeah. because Google uh, deprecated the entire product line. Now you have to forward all of your search index information to some American server. And this is not comfortable for some people. And that is perfectly fair. <laughs> so they could have paid for a different solution or they could have uh, they could have went well we'll just risk the privacy implications but instead they decided you know what let's see if we can try to build one of these ourselves and so the solution they came up with was a high availability uh, solar configuration with a open source web crawler called nutch and it was just a fascinating combination of elements to make basically your own google but within your own organization for your own sites without having to have a direct backend connection. Nice. I really love that name, Nutch. <laughs> it was, uh, that was a really, really fascinating talk, and I, I wish that I could have captured more of the technical details of that, but I was coming right off of doing my session, so I still had a lot of adrenaline in me. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure that uh, the video will be posted, um, the session video, once it's mm -hmm. available. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that a, a little bit, and then um, I think we'll, we'll wrap. So it looks like there were sessions that were recorded, again, mm -hmm. um, courtesy of Kevin Thull and his equipment. Well, um, not, not quite. Not quite? Not quite. Kevin Thull was not there. He was at Bad Camp. Oh, but his so equipment was there. Well, Kevin, Th from my understanding, um, what happened was that Kevin Thull trained uh, the Drupal uh, Camp Ottawa staff and provided them a list of the hardware that he uses for his talks. So they re-implemented all of that under his guidance nice. and then ran it themselves independently. So it was a very familiar experience. Everyone had the big red button that they had to press. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very familiar. Um, I do know that they had a few a few gotchas with the se session recording, but they generally had a fairly good capture ratio. 
That's wonderful. I do see that on the Drupal Camp Ottawa website, they published um, a playlist on YouTube, and I think there are about six videos on there right now, six sessions that are um, currently available, um, with the note that they'll be adding the rest of the sessions in the coming week or so. Um, so that's great. We're going to um, have a recording of your session, and you can probably go back to the solar session as well and check the details of that one out as well. Well, all in all, a good camp, um, something that maybe I'll consider going to next year, and maybe we'll send you again next year. Uh, Tess, thank you so much for spending your time with me and talking through Drupal Camp Ottawa 2018. No problem. You've been listening to the 107 podcast. Find us online at 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening. Thank you.